The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. As sports keeps coming back, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, BetOnline.ag. Major League Baseball and the NBA are in full swing, and there are no shortage of ways to get in on the action. BetOnline has all the odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. Also, tune in as Floyd Money Mayweather joins the BetOnline team in a new segment called The Ice is Right, where he talks about his expansive jewelry collection. He'll give you the chance to win some great prizes and bet on the cost of his bling. Visit BetOnline.ag today to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Uh, Don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back to sports bonuses. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. Fans, I'm your host and contributor to the Bird Rights and Bleacher Report, Preston Ellis. Yesterday, we spoke to PJ Washington. If you haven't heard that podcast, please be sure to check that out. But today, we are speaking with Tim Livingston of the Whistleblower Podcast. Now, the Whistleblower is an incredibly detailed, as well as reported, account of Tim Donahue's time in the NBA. It investigates his role in fixing games, as well as questions whether the buck stops with him. Were others involved? How deep did the scandal go? Well, we're about to find out. Again, if you like what you're hearing, please follow us at the Bird Calls NO and follow Tim at Tim Likes Sports. Here's Tim. All right, Tim. Uh, we just talked a bit of off the air about 2020 certainly being a strange year. Uh, we both had our first children uh, within a week of each other uh, as this thing kicked off, which is pretty crazy. How have you been handling everything from from being a new dad to the pandemic, peaceful protests, suspension of games, suspension of the entertainment industry? How how have you guys been doing? Been doing all right, Preston. Thank you for asking. I'm happy that we're not immediately jumping into the the darkness that is the Tim Donahue scandal. <laughs> uh, we've been good, man. It's been bizarre. Um, we Cadence Thirteen, who's one of the partners along with Tenderfoot TV, um, in pro- in producing the podcast has this awesome studio about a mile from our apartment here in LA. And for the first, uh, in February for about a week and a half, we were going over there and just working out there. And I felt extremely lucky, uh, to, to have this studio so close and we were going to get to work with some of the best audio professionals in the world and blah, blah, blah. And now the last, uh, six months we've been doing this podcast completely remote. I have a microphone in my room. Um, I have, you know, just like, basically recording all my VO for this podcast during uh, whatever gaps I can find between gardeners mowing, which is happening right now. I apologize if you're picking that up. Um, police helicopters, babies crying and and everything else. But for the most part, doing well, man. It's uh, It's been a crazy 2020, but uh, luckily we can do a lot of this stuff remotely now. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like this conversation we're having right now, uh, you said you're in your home. I'm in my closet, which is typically where I do this because if if I wake up my daughter, Grace, that's that's pretty much the end of my marriage. So I try my best to be quiet at this point. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about your your podcast. I've, I've listened to the first three episodes. It's exceptional. Um, it, it it very much feels like a like a mystery thriller, uh, the way that it's produced. Um, there There's so many different topics you could have tackled. However, you chose to tackle this one because – when people think about officiating, they usually associate it with with mistakes, whether it be like the blown pass interference call by Bill Vinovich uh, in the in the Saints Rams games or or Game Seven of Kings Lakers. I want to say that was like two thousand one. But primarily, I think a lot of people, at least in basketball, think about as you preface Tim Donahue after the Sun Spurs game in in uh, two thousand seven. Uh, Bill Simmons wrote. Not since the cocaine era from ninety from seventy eight to eighty six has the league faced a bigger ongoing issue than crappy officiating. Talk about uh, this has been a passion project of yours for eight years. I heard on the podcast. Can you talk about the inception of this podcast and and what made you so passionate about telling this story? Um, I think this story for me has been bubbling not just for the last eight years uh, as I've gotten to know Tim Donahue and, and pursued his side of the story. I think it goes back to when I played basketball as a kid. I, as a, as a youngster, Preston had a, a hot temper, got thrown out of many games at an age when you shouldn't be not only thrown out of game, but even arguing with officials, with officials. Um, I was like an eight, 10 year old, just yelling and, and being a little asshole. Um, <laughs> hope we get accustomed to this. I, I think we're good. Sure, man. Go for it. Um, so, and then I, when I got a little older, maybe like 12, 13, I realized that officials are human and if you want to benefit from calls if you want to um you know get calls instead of not get calls you have to cozy up to them you have to joke with them you have to make them your friend and i only played basketball up until my sophomore year of high school but it's something that i i saw as a flaw in the game that could be exploited one way or another and i think that is where the original fascination comes from is how much power those two or three officials have, you know, two, two in a high school game, um, or three officials in an NBA game have on the game. And it's, it's not good. Um, you know, the, the point of a sport is that the athletes compete against each other and you want the, the officials, you want that variable to be as minimal as possible. Um, not to go on a, a tangent, but for me, I'm a big baseball fan. The electronic strike zone for me is, is the last step in baseball for that sport becoming almost unmanipulatable if that's a word you know baseball is really close to becoming a game where the 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 umpires have almost no effect on the game it's just the players and the nba still to this day referees have a huge effect on the game so it goes all the way back to when i was a kid and then as an adult watching those games the the 2002 lakers king series the 2006 nba finals dallas and and Miami and just countless games where I just couldn't believe that in the inept, the just the incredible ineptitude of the officials just didn't seem like seemed like there was something more there. And when Donahue came out and said what he said, it made sense to me. I think it made sense to a lot of basketball fans. And so I think we're at a point now where 13 years later, more people are willing to talk about it, more players. We have coaches, we have um, more writers, just people who didn't want to talk about it 13 years ago because it was so sensitive and because NBA writers wanted the NBA to exist and thrive and didn't want to necessarily investigate 
this incredibly dark thing that happened to the game that we all love, which I understand. So I think the timing was right. And for me, the journey, it's been, I guess, hyperbole aside, a lifelong journey to get to this point and, and tell the story. Yeah, for sure. I definitely want to get back to present day, which you were uh, just talking about and how we can identify it in, in today's games or how we can uh, how we can look for it. Uh, but I want to bring up Raja Bell's comments on the NBA Ringer show when he assessed his relationship with Kobe Bryant in a, in a previous game, probably dating back 10 years, maybe more, uh, where Kobe said to the official, call this one straight. And he said Raja had one of the best games of his career. He had 24 points that night. Uh, in many ways, he out played Kobe Bryant that night just because Kobe mentioned that to the official and he wondered if it had some kind of grandiose effect on the way that the game was called. Uh, but before we get into that and how it could still be transpiring, uh, I want to continue on Tim Donahue for a moment. Uh, on the podcast, uh, he he mentioned or you mentioned that his story has remained the same through the years for the most part. But there are some discrepancies that, that don't add up. For instance, uh, he says he never bet on his own games. Uh, he says he only made $30,000 despite uh, incredible uh, sums of money being moved that you assessed on your podcast. Can you talk a bit more about the volume of money that was being moved at this point in time and how far his specific scandal might have gone? I would love to talk. Um, first off, let's come back to Raja Bell because I, I never heard that quote, and that's awesome. Um, but when it comes to Donahue and the money, yeah, he claims that First off, he claims that he was winning 80% of his of his picks. So as anybody who's ever placed a bet before or gone to Las Vegas before, if you're winning 80% of what you're, whatever you're wagering on, then you keep wagering. You don't wager $2,000 a game, and you don't, you don't play with peanuts when you can essentially print money. So Donahue claims that he only made $30,000 despite having this ability to – win almost every game that he bet on. I think 80% is conservative. I think he was winning closer to 90. So the idea that Donahue himself only walked away during the four years that he was betting on his own games and manipulating and fixing his own games, that he only accumulated $100,000 total is laughable. But now we're talking about for the, the height of the scheme, when things got really big, the idea that he only took home $30,000 is even more laughable. So Donahue himself, the money that, that he was getting, it's incalculable. We, we think that Donahue was betting with more than two people. We know based on the court records, he was betting with Jimmy Baba Batista. That was the, the scandal. Uh, Jack and Cannon is a guy he had bet, bet with for years. We think Donahue was betting with multiple other, with a lot of other people, including as a couple of people on our podcast speculate, might Scott Foster, a current NBA referee, anybody who's listening to this that follows the NBA knows Scott Foster that Scott Foster might have been placing bets for Donahue as well. So Donahue, there's, I think just from him, for him personally, he was telling a lot of people, they were probably feeding him back cash. We'll never have any idea how much money Donahue made from the scandal, but having visited him in Florida, he's doing quite well. We'll just put it that way. And then part two of that is the games. So each one of these games, and Donahue didn't really understand this part of the part of the scheme but when he made a pick there was a lot of people that were aware that when tim donahue bet a game that as soon as you saw little line movement that you better put some money in that game because the fix was in so millions upon millions upon millions of dollars were moving on each tim donahue game by people that knew um, donahue's pick from the jump and by people that were just piggybacking off of the the line movement that they saw for each individual game 
So we're talking about hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars that moved just on Tim Donahue's games over the course of this scandal. Potentially billions of dollars being bet and won and lost by other bettors who weren't aware of the scheme based on Donahue's picks alone. 2020 has been the year of things happening that are completely out of your control. But there is one thing you can control, and that's shaving your bush. Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to remind you to do so. The Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 is a premium electric trimmer that's designed to give you a confidence boost through body image. Their ceramic blade and skin safe technology are designed to reduce nicks or tugs on your fellows down low. The Lawnmower 3.0 is also waterproof and comes with an LED light so you can manscape in the shower, in the dark, or in a dark shower, whatever floats your boat. They also just released their Shears 2.0 nail kit, which is the perfect add on to their Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. The Shears 2.0 Nail Kit allows you to pluck your eyebrows and trim your nails in style. On their website, you'll also find the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. And this will help you tame that summer swamp ass with natural hydrators and antioxidants. You'll also find the Crop Reviver, a testy toner that's like having cologne that is designed for your balls. Go to Manscaped.com and check out some of these life-changing products. In fact, listeners of this show will get 20% off plus free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code armchair. It's time to grab 2020 by the horns by shaving that front trunk. As sports keeps coming back, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, betonline.ag. Major League Baseball and the NBA are in full swing and there are no shortage of ways to get in on the action. BetOnline has all the odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. Also, tune in as Floyd Money Mayweather joins the Bet Online team in a new segment called The Ice is Right, where he talks about his expansive jewelry collection. He'll give you the chance to win some great prizes and bet on the cost of his bling. Visit betonline.ag today to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Uh, don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back to sports bonuses. Bet Online, your online wagering experts. It's truly incredible. And something I want to mention that you cover in your podcast is that Tim Donahue himself uh, assessed that he was betting or advising that he uh, told others to bet on referees because he knew their instincts. He knew how they handled players like Kevin Garnett, for example. We can't avoid it. Let's let's go ahead and and get to Scott Foster because even though Tim Donahue has been out of the NBA for quite some time, uh, questionable officiating hasn't gone anywhere. Uh, in what was a critical game two after the Rockets took game one against the Lakers, uh, and I called it on Twitter, P.J. Tucker was given a quick second foul minutes into the first quarter, and you can go back and look in the tape and try to find that foul. In that game, Scott Foster called the Rockets for 18 fouls while the Lakers were assessed uh, just five by him. And I think the Lakers got out to a 21-point lead, but uh, P.J. Tucker being off the floor really hurt their chances. I think he was a positive uh, 14 plus minus in his 34 minutes. Typically, he plays somewhere around like 38 to 40 minutes. And I want to go back to um, a series you may not have seen in 2017, 2018. The Pelicans were playing the Golden State Warriors in round two. In game one, the Warriors had 32 foul uh, shots to just 11 for the Pelicans. In game two, a game that the Pelicans lost by just five points, it was 27 to nine. In game three, 26 to 12. That's when Alvin Gentry finally said something and got fined. Now, you might say, well, the Golden State Warriors are the best team in the NBA. They won the finals that year. However, out of 16 playoff teams, they were 12th in foul foul shots, despite those heavy numbers in those three games. They were 22nd in the regular season overall. However, they were getting 30 foul shots per game. How likely or unlikely in your estimation uh, is it that this is still happening? It's definitely still happening, and that's the problem with with basketball. And we love the sport, but ultimately, 
this is going to be something that plagues the sport forever until we get it right. The PJ Tucker picking up two quick fouls. I mean, the devices, the tools in a referee's toolbox to influence a game are the same. They've always been the same. Um, that was one of the big revelations we made in, in episode two. We thought, you know, two quick fouls, uh, a T there, a T there, um, just subtle manipulation of the game is, is how referees um, manipulate games. And then Donahue, it's revealed by his co-conspirator Tommy Martino in episode two that Donahue would just use the foul, the out-of-bounds line, and just call players out-of-bounds that weren't out-of-bounds um, if he had money on them. I mean, the referees, the tools in a referee's toolbox are, are endless. And it's really, that's what, it, it hurts. Because I did watch that. That Pelican scene was awesome. Uh, that was the so that was two years ago that was when they swept Portland the first round, right? Yeah, and if I can just get in there for a second, I, and I, I want you to expand on this as well. Uh, we, we can talk about sports betters, but we can also talk about the NBA. The, the Pelicans just obliterated the Blazers four games to none. At that point, from the NBA standpoint, you have to be fearful that the Pelicans could continue that run and eliminate who's your biggest dollar ma- uh, maker in the NBA and Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson. You don't want those guys getting eliminated. So giving the Warriors that 2-0 bump almost guarantees that they take the series. And that's where, again, this, you and I having this conversation would be labeled by a lot of people as conspiracy theorists. But after doing this podcast, and this is where we get to in episode 10, I don't think in seven weeks when we finish our podcast that the label conspiracy theorists for people that talk about the NBA having a motive in which team wins a playoff series will exist anymore. I think it's going to be my hope after the culmination of this podcast that people look back at those series and series that happen today and realize that the NBA in a lot of these series, whether they want to admit it or not, they'll never admit it, but have a motive, right? I mean, Golden State needed to be in the finals, hundred percent. They needed to play the Cavaliers in the finals. That was a, a foregone conclusion at the beginning of the playoffs. And you guys were red hot. I remember I watched a I was in New York watching, I think game two of that series and yeah, you guys have Anthony Davis, who's the best low post player in, in the league versus a jump shooting team. And I mean, I remember, again, I it's hard for me, Preston, because I watch every NBA game and um, pay more attention to the referees at this point than the players probably, I which is <laughs> something, something I need to work on. But yeah, I remember, I remember game two of that series. I remember um, there being some dubious foul calls. And it's something that's going to really, that's going to plague the NBA until they get it right. And there's some systematic things that they need to do to, excuse me, to improve the system. And that's probably first and foremost, having the referees not employed by the NBA. Something that Phil Jackson and multiple others have said for decades upon decades, as long as the referees are employed by the NBA, as long as they're not part of a separate entity that has no, um, you know, that doesn't care about which team makes the finals, that just is calling fouls that are fouls. And that's their only prerogative. Until that happens, we're going to be talking about this and and speculating and picking these part picking game picking apart these games because those foul those free throw discrepancies are are massive. I mean, we interviewed George Carl, and he pointed out a game that wasn't even on our radar. Nineteen ninety three game seven Western Conference Finals, the the Suns shot sixty four free throws in that game. Wow, sixty four. That that should in a playoff game. Are you kidding me? Against the Sonics, who shot thirty six, and the referees in that game, guess who? Yeah, I'm sure you can name at least <laughs> two of them off the top of your head, right? Bavetta, Crawford, et cetera. So it's, it's a problem. And the NBA, until they create some sort of, some sort of system that where the referees don't give a flying you-know-what about who wins the game, they're just 
focused on calling fouls. There's nothing in their head about what the NBA wants because they know what the NBA wants. NBA wants the Warriors, right? So until that happens, we're going to keep, this is just going to keep repeating itself. It needs to change. Yeah, the the effect of these games is incalculable because just six months later, you've got Anthony Davis sitting down for dinner with LeBron James uh, a month after that requesting out of town. Who's to say if they don't advance past the Warriors, they play the Rockets, who they played well in the regular series. There's just no telling how life might have turned out differently. But before I let you go, I, I do want to address something because when when fans typically associate like a, a uh, officials with with fixing games to coin the term uh they they typically think of egregious calls but officials are very capable of throwing games while still making correct calls whether it be uh calling something as uncommon as a, a an illegal defense call uh infringing the paint one moment before a foul shooter has released the ball or deciphering between a charge and a blocking foul is another common uh another common one can you talk a little bit about how an official can do his job perfectly on paper and still curb games so Donahue was one of the highest rated officials in the NBA at the at the height of the scandal. And that's because he was making technically correct calls that most officials don't make and enforcing them um, with bias, obviously. And that's and that's the problem, right, is the NBA refereeing is so subjective. There can essentially be an illegal screen on every single or an illegal defense or some sort of foul or infraction on every single possession. Right. A good referee can their job is to create balance and and call a game fairly for both sides. And the foul free throws and and fouls at the end of a game, barring one team just, uh, you know, being the going back and being like the late 80s, early 90s Pistons. um, I mean, those those things should be really even. And so Donahue was able to and referees just in general are able to manipulate a game within the rules. And that's what we interviewed Michael Franzese, who was a capo in the Colombo crime family who ran a large scale bookmaking operation and had several referees on his payroll. That's what he said. It's not hard to fix an NBA game, Preston. And that's the problem is, is fixing an NBA game isn't hard. It's easy. And it's easy because of the subjectivity of refereeing today with a, with a going back to baseball and an umpire, if a guy was just calling everything a strike, balls were bouncing in the dirt, and he was calling it a strike, if that would get destroyed on on social media and everywhere else. If an NBA referee is putting two quick fouls on you know a, a team's highly valued role player and shifting the course of the game accordingly in the, in the first five minutes of a game, those are things that we as fans can speculate that there's a motive, but we can't definitively prove that, and that's the problem. Now, I definitely want to tease the, these, if I haven't mentioned before, some fun stories involving Phil Jackson and Michael Jordan, as well as 134 shared phone calls uh, between Tim Donahue and Scott Foster. Just want to throw those out there. Uh, just because uh, I've taken up a good bit of your time, um, and, and there's so much we can talk about. I find this so interesting, and I, I've listened to the three episodes thus far that have been made available to me. But just in terms of this podcast, obviously, you're very passionate about it. Obviously, this is an aspect of the story that you wanted to to be told because it hasn't been told you referenced yourself on the podcast how tim donahue thanked you for for telling his side of the story but what do you tim what do you hope people will take from this story what what message do you want them to hear and and walk away from this with it's a great question ultimately i want people to look at the system as a whole and determine whether or not the current basketball currently is a fair athletic competition or whether it's closer 
to something else, whether it's closer to wrestling, whether it's just entertainment. And I think we as fans need to really question the system and determine what we want out of basketball. Do we want to just watch the Warriors versus the Cavs every year if there's an upstart uh, young hungry team that wants to knock one of these teams off the pedestal and and could do so in five games they're just red hot and and going nuts like what do we want and I, I know the answer for me I want a fair athletic competition press and I'm sure it's the same for you but I think that's a big question we have to ask is what do we want sports to be and what do we want basketball to be and that's the question that we're investigating ultimately because I I, I personally as a fan throughout this era and, and still this exists today I think there's too much professional wrestling in basketball i think it's i, I don't i don't uh, it's it's entertaining enough i just want it to be a fair fair playing field even playing field for everybody involved no it's a terrific quote uh one i'm, I'm that's going to stick with me uh i i know for myself and i think i can speak for probably everyone listening to this podcast is that we don't want to watch officials we want to watch the game we love the game we love the players uh there's there's enough drama without uh anything else uh, tangled into it uh, this has been fascinating. The podcast is fascinating. It's Whistleblower. You can follow it on Twitter at WhistleblowerTF. You can follow Tim at Tim Like Sports. Tim, is there anything we haven't covered that you want our listeners to take away from this conversation? Ah, man. All right. I thought we were going to talk about Roger Bell for an hour and a half. Oh, sure. We can talk about uh He's on the Ringer uh, <laughs> podcast. Uh, I highly encourage you to listen to him. He's been an, an incredible addition to that network. Uh, and he does have, it was probably two to three episodes ago, but you can find it on NBA Ringer Show. Uh, you can find Rajah Bell talking to, um, uh, the, the name escapes me. Uh, I want to say Logan, but... Um, but he has this great conversation about Kobe Bryant and about Kobe's relationship to officials. Sorry, you can go ahead and expand on what you were saying. No, no, it's great. I just, I, I mean, I'm like half joking, but I'm fast. I'm just so fascinated by all the the personal stories from this world. And yeah, it's just, it's super interesting to think about, you know, Kobe Bryant became Kobe Bryant and how much did he benefit from referees um, giving him Kobe Bryant calls instead of Raja Bell calls. It's it's something we investigate in this podcast, the idea that instead of every every call and every game and every play being called just based on the rule book, this idea that the stars are going to get the star calls. And it's something we've kind of accepted as, as basketball fans that I don't think we should accept going forward. Yeah, and I think you made an excellent analogy to professional wrestling because given it in a vacuum, one game, uh, anything can happen despite uh, an official's strongest efforts. Even if they're throwing 64 uh, foul shots to, to one team's side, there still exists the possibility that the other side could overcome them. But over the course of seven games, it's monumentally more difficult if an official is curbing, let's say, uh, six points, as you referenced in your podcast, from game to game, for a team to overcome that. Uh and, and I told you I was going to get get you out of here, but how much do you think that a seven-game series actually uh, inhibits the way that we can have those uh, those Cinderella-type stories? Oh, man, it's a really good question. Um, it shouldn't, right? It, it should just be a fair, even playing field, and the best team should win. And if if the Pelicans in 2018 are, are red hot and Holiday and Davis are clicking, and we've all played – and it most – people listening to this and most people in general have played sports. We know what it feels like to be on fire and feel invincible and to have a streak where you just, everything clicks and you're unstoppable. And those teams should not be hindered uh, by the league wanting the additional revenue from a playoff series going six, seven games. 
and shouldn't be hindered by referees having in their head that a certain team is going to make the NBA a lot more money if they advance the next round instead of, you know, if Team X goes instead of Team Y. So these are all the things that are a problem right now for the NBA that I hope this podcast brings to light and that I hope we as fans can really rally around and make a difference in, in the system. So that's, that's the ultimate win for, for me as, as the creator and host of this podcast and what I ultimately hope to achieve. Thanks for listening, Pels fans. If you haven't already, make sure to listen to yesterday's podcast, including Hornets forward PJ Washington. And if you can do us one more favor, make sure to rate us and subscribe to us on iTunes. We've got new coaching search candidates on thebirdrights.com right now, so make sure to check that out. But for now, thanks for listening. Let's dance and let's go Pels. Thank you for listening to the bird calls on the armchair all-american network if you like what you're hearing please take a moment to rate us on itunes retweet share with your friends and most importantly subscribe today